Hosanna in the highest heaven. That term Hosanna, it means, it's used to express adoration. It's used to express joy. It's used to express praise. And it means please save us or save us now. But here's the ironic thing. Some of those same people who cried out Hosanna on Sunday were the same ones who were crying out crucify on Friday. Their praise turned to hate. Their praise turned to bitterness. Their praise turned to anger. Why? Because when they realized Jesus didn't come to do what they thought he would do, they turned on him. They were expecting a physical salvation. They were expecting a physical deliverance. That he would deliver them from the Romans. And notice that Jesus came in on a donkey, as we read in Zechariah 9.9, as that says in Matthew 21. In biblical times, it was common for kings or important people to to arrive at a procession by riding on a donkey because the donkey symbolized peace to those. So those who chose to ride them showed that they came with peaceful intentions. And you know what? Jesus did come with peaceful intentions, but not with the peaceful intentions they thought. They thought Jesus came for physical salvation. They thought Jesus came to bring physical peace, but instead Jesus came to bring spiritual salvation and spiritual peace. And as the Prince of Peace, he, he came to bring peace between God and humanity, not between the Jews and the Romans. You see, the Jews were looking for someone to fight their earthly battles. But God had the ultimate plan of sending his son to fight the final battle over death. And this is why we celebrate this week. This is why we celebrate Easter. This is why it's so important to us as believers. Because of Christ's ultimate sacrifice, because of Christ's resurrection, we can be set free from sin. We can be set free from death and hell and the grave. And above all, we can have peace with God. Because of what God has done for us, we have every reason to praise God and not a single reason not to praise Him. Don't praise Jesus one minute. And dishonor him the next. Rejoice in him always. Rejoice in his promises. And always give him the praise he is due. Remembering God is good all the time. And all the time God is good. The third thing I want to share with you this morning is. If we want to make a difference we need to commit to be a prayer warrior. James says we are to pray when we are suffering. In verse 13, he says, Anyone among you suffering, he should pray. And here, James uses the general word for prayer, prosukomai. It's the most common word for prayer in the New Testament. And in the context in which James is writing, it's the idea of, of God giving one spiritual strength to remove the trial with a godly spirit. You see, when you're going through a difficult time, whether it's spiritual or physical or emotional or financial, the best thing you can do is pray. The best thing you can do is ask God to give you strength. And when you go to God in prayer, it shows that you trust Him. It shows that you need Him. It shows that you have confidence in Him, that you are dependent upon Him. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us approach the throne of grace with boldness and confidence so that we might receive mercy and find grace in our time of 
knee. God invites us to come to his throne with confidence to receive mercy and to find grace when we need it. But how often do we say, I guess I'll go to the Lord in prayer. There's nothing else I can do. You see, we should think prayer as the first resort and not the last resort. Instead of saying maybe we should pray, we should say, I think we need to pray. You see, when we are suffering, we need to cry out to God. We need to pour out our heart to Him. We need to not hold anything back, and we don't need to give up. Augustine, one of the early church fathers, wrote in his book, Confessions, he said this, The best disposition for praying is that of being desolate, forsaken, and stripped of everything. He's saying, come before God and just lay it all out. Be honest with God. Ask God for help, and you will find grace and you will receive mercy. And I think in Scripture, several people who cried out to God. I think of how Jacob wrestled with God all night in Genesis chapter 32, declaring, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And Jacob's tenacity earned him a new name. From that point forward, he was known as Israel, which means he strives with God. Hannah cried bitterly to the Lord for her child, and after many years of praying and infertility, God gave her a son, a son called Samuel. David often grappled with God in prayer. And his songs are full of urgent requests that God would deliver him from his situations and from his struggles and from his enemies. And when you are suffering and you, when you are hurting, never think you're alone. Never think no one cares. Always know there is one who cares and there is one who is always with you. And that is God himself. And when you pray in difficult times, you will experience God's peace. You will experience God's comfort that you cannot otherwise experience. So pray when you're suffering. James also says in verse 14, he says, Is anyone among you sick? He should call for the elders of the church, and they should pray over him after anointing him with olive oil in the name of the Lord. James says only we're to pray when we're suffering, we're to pray when we are sick. Notice James says, if someone is sick, they should call the elders of the church to minister to them and to anoint them with oil and then pray over them. And in this context, oil is not medicinal. Oil is not sacramental. Instead, it is in symbolic. It is a mark of faith, understanding that God can heal if he so chooses. And we need to understand this does not mean if a church member is sick, and the church leaders come and anoint someone with oil and praise over them that they will be healed. That's not what James is saying at all. I remember in California, when we as a staff, we went to a church member's home who was suffering from cancer. And our pastor took a bottle of oil and we anointed this gentleman with oil and we prayed over him. And we asked God to heal him. But God chose not to heal him physically. In Scripture, anointing with oil shows consecration. It shows the setting apart of something. Samuel anointed Saul and David with oil as the next kings of Israel. Balsam oil, as described by some of the ancient rabbis, as more valuable than gold, was used to anoint kings of Israel after King Solomon in the 10th century B.C. And one commentator said during the ceremony, it be poured across the king's head in the form of an X. Why? To show that that king had been set apart. You see, the power for healing is not found in any oil. 
but it's found in the God who hears and answers prayer. And while elders and leaders of the church pray over someone, the oil symbolizes setting that person apart for special attention and care from God. And the lesson for us is God desires for us. God wants us to pray for others, believing he can heal them if he so chooses. That's what James is talking about. Having faith in God that he can heal if he chooses to heal. And no one can deny there is power in prayer. There have been times in my life, and I'm sure in your life, where you knew people were praying for you and it made a huge difference. Why does it make a difference when people pray for us? Because it shows they care for us and they love us and that we are not facing our struggles alone. That there are others fighting our battles with us and for us, interceding on our behalf. And what's the result when we pray for others? In this way, verse 15 says, The Lord, the prayer of faith will save the sick person, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. James says the Lord will raise the person up, and any sins that have been committed will be forgiven. Meaning if the cause of the sickness is sin in that person's life, then that sin will be forgiven. You see, sin and sickness were often closely associated in the ancient world. The thought was, if you were sick, then the assumption was it would result of sin in your own life. In fact, in John chapter 9, the disciples asked Jesus why a man was blind born. They said, is it the fault of his parents' sin, or is it because of his own sin? And Jesus responded, neither this man nor his parents have sinned. But this happened so the works of God could be performed in him. Now, granted, some illnesses are a result of sin. Some illnesses are a product of sin. They are a result of bad choices we make. But James is encouraging the sick person to to deal with any spiritual causes of their illness. But by using the word if in verse 15, he says if someone has committed sin. By using that word if, James is not assuming the sickness is caused by sin. He's saying it's just a possibility. And if there is sickness caused by sin, that sickness needs to be dealt with. But James says prayer offered in faith will, will save the sick person and God will raise him up. The word for prayer here is a different word than James used earlier. The word for prayer here is the word UK. And it's only used two other times in the New Testament. It means fervent wish or petition. And James is saying, who is the one who is to have faith? The ones who are praying for the one who is sick are the ones who are to have the faith, not the sick person. So is James saying if people who are praying have enough faith, the person they are praying for will be healed. And if they don't have enough faith, healing will not take place. This is not what James is saying. James is not saying the healing of a person who is sick is based on the faith of the one who's doing the praying. The point he is making is that the faith we demonstrate in prayer is faith in God who is sovereign and accomplishes his will. And remember James 4.15 when James said, if the Lord wills is what we need to say. That's how we need to approach praying for those who are sick and those who are suffering. If God wills. And when we pray... Our faith recognizes that God is sovereign 
It recognizes that his will is supreme, and it only matters what he wants. I've seen faithful people pray for one another who is sick, and physical healing did not take place. But I know what did take place was ultimate healing. As they passed from this life to the next, their faith became a reality. Their faith became sight. I've seen people pray for someone who was sick, and God chose to heal that person. And I've experienced both in my life, with my dad being sick and passing away and my mom being sick and passing away. I pray constantly for both my parents for God to heal them. I had other people praying for God to heal them. And guess what? God chose not to heal them physically. I mentioned this before, but Luke was born six weeks early. He's in the NICU two weeks. But our church surrounded us in prayer. Two gentlemen from our church went with me to the NICU and stood outside the NICU unit and prayed for a long period of time for God to heal Luke. You know what? Luke was healed. I can't explain the difference, but I had to realize that what I wanted may not be what God wanted. And I had to understand that God's will, that God's plan is superior to mine. And even though God chose to heal my mom, even though God didn't choose to heal my parents physically, they experienced the ultimate healing when they passed from physical death to eternal life in the presence of their Savior and Lord. And I think of the situation with Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 9. Paul asked God three times to take away the thorn in his flesh. And God refused each time. God had a purpose in not taking away his thorn in the flesh, and this was his purpose. God told him, my grace is sufficient for you, and my strength is made perfect in weakness. And we may ask, didn't Jesus say in John 14, 14, you may ask anything in my name and I will do it? He did. But we have to understand what it means to ask in Jesus' name. To ask in Jesus' name means to consider his will. It's a prayer for healing offered in the confidence that God will answer that prayer. That praying to God does bring healing, but only when it's God's will. In John 14, 14, you see, Jesus was not delivering a magical formula for getting whatever we want. He was giving us a guiding principle to align our desires with God's. And when we pray in Jesus' name, we pray according to the will of God. We pray for what will honor God and glorify Jesus. And James says, when we have this kind of faith, the Lord will raise him up. And whether that's now in this life or whether that's in the eternity to come. Regardless of when, believers in Christ will be raised up eventually and forever. Why? Because Jesus raised from the dead. And because Jesus raised from the dead, we will be raised from the dead. And James says, not only should we pray, but we should have others praying for us. And we can expect God to answer according to his will and not ours in verse 16. He says, therefore, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another so that you may be healed. This is the only verse in the New Testament that commands us as believers to confess our sins to one another. And James is saying, if we have sinned, we need to share our sins. We need to confess our sins to each other, to brothers and sisters in Christ. Why? So healing can take place. We need to be able to be transparent with each other as the body of Christ. 
And it's every believer's responsibility. It's every believer's privilege to pray for healing as the power of prayer is the conduit through which healing takes place. And at the end of verse 16, James says how we should pray. He says, The intense and the fervent prayer of the righteous man has great power and accomplishes much. And in that sentence, James uses his third word for prayer. It's the word desis. And it focuses the attention on the petitionary aspect of prayer, interceding for others. And James is making it clear that especially prayer for others, it is a powerful weapon in the hands of those who are righteous, referring to believers. But I would say even though prayer is the most powerful weapon in the hands of the believers, it's probably the most underutilized uh, weapon in the hand of believers. A weapon cannot accomplish its purpose or its function unless it's used. And I think as believers, we often underutilize the power of prayer. And just as we have every reason to praise God, we have every reason to pray to God. And then James gives us an example of who's someone who prays fervently, someone who is righteous and what that looks like. He gives the example of Elijah. Elijah was one of the most recognized figures in the Old Testament among the Jews. He was remembered for his powerful miracles and how he denounced sin. He was seen as a helper in time of need. And because of his faith and how he lived out his life, he was taken into heaven by a whirlwind in a chariot of fire. And if you go to 1 Kings 17 and 18, where where James takes this example, God told Elijah to pray that there there would be a drought in the land for three and a half years. Elijah prayed, that's exactly what happened. Then God told Elijah to pray that, that the drought would go away and that the famine would end and rain would come. Elijah prayed, and that's exactly what happened. And I believe that James told this one event from Elijah's life so he could prove the point and show the point that just as God restored the land, just as God brought the land from death to life, God can restore a believer who's been prayed for and prayed over and who has faith in God that he can heal. And you know what? We can pray the same way Elijah prayed. James says he has a nature as ours, meaning James is no different than we, or Elijah was no different than we are. He is human just like us. But he prayed fervently. He prayed intensely. He prayed with conviction. And this is exactly how God wants us to pray. God wants us to pray with conviction. He wants us to pray with sincerity. He wants us to pray fervently. And if you desire to make a difference, I want to encourage you to be a prayer warrior. To pray for yourself. To pray for others. Pray with confidence. Pray with complete faith. Pray with trust, believing God can do what you ask while acknowledging that His will is supreme, that His will is best. Don't underutilize prayer. Overutilize prayer in your life. The last thing I want to say quickly is we need to commit to be a life preserver. We need to commit to be a life preserver if we want to make a difference. The reason things are made available to save our lives in the water is to keep us from drowning. And it's not enough to say to someone who is drowning, I see you're in trouble, why don't you just swim? Why don't you just hold your breath? You'll be fine. In this situation, words do absolutely nothing for the person who is drowning. If someone is drowning, if someone is in trouble, action is needed. And we need to let them know that. 
And James is describing this exact situation in the spiritual sense. He describes a, spiritual, a fellow believer who's drowning in life, who's departed from the truth by becoming involved in sin and is brought back by another believer. To those who know Christ, we have a responsibility to intervene and bring back those who've wandered from the faith, who've strayed from the truth. If someone is living in sin, if someone has strayed from their faith, if someone is going against Scripture and they say they are a believer in Christ, we're not just to stand around and do nothing. We're not to say, what a shame. Boy, you really messed up. James says we need to do something. We need to do something in love and grace to bring them back, to help them see the error of their ways, to help them to see what they're doing is wrong. We need to save them from destruction. As followers of Christ, we have a responsibility to hold each other accountable without being judgmental, without being condescending. We are just not to pray for each other. We are to look out for one another. And what's the result of bringing someone back? What's the result of turning someone back to the faith from which they've strayed? James tells us two things. One, their soul is saved from death. He says you save that person from spiritual death and spiritual destruction. And he says their sins will be covered. Their sins will be blotted out. Their sins will be forgiven. And not only do we need to be a life preserver to believers who've wondered for their faith, we need to be a life preserver to unbelievers. We need to tell unbelievers about the love of Jesus. We can tell unbelievers that they have eternal life in heaven. They can be forever in the presence of God. And as Bill mentioned, that they won't go to hell and be separated from God forever. We have something that will save their lives for eternity. And we need to be about the business of saving people from spending eternity in a place called hell. And if we share the same conviction as James, that sin has consequences and leads to death, it should motivate us to not only deal with sin in our own lives, but to deal with it in the lives of others out of concern and compassion. Several years ago, our family went to the Titanic exhibit in Pigeon Forge, and it was well worth it, and we learned so much. But one thing that struck me was when the captain talked about a passenger on the, on the ship named John Harper. John Harper was an evangelist, and as the ship was sinking, he put a six-year-old daughter into a lifeboat. He ran through the ship warning others of the danger and talking to them about their need to know Jesus. And when he was finally forced to jump into the icy water, he clung to a piece of wreckage. And he asked another man that was by him, he said, are you saved? The man said, no. He said to him, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. The man didn't respond. And even though they lost sight of each other, he continued to ask this man the same question, urging him to believe in Jesus. And he got the same answer back. Harper then slipped beneath the water. He never resurfaced. But the man he was witnessing to did put his faith in Christ, later rescued by a lifeboat. And he testified he was John Harper's last convert. You see, John Harper faced death heroically. John Harper faced death without fear because he never lost sight of his passion, which was Jesus Christ, and his purpose in life, which was to be a life preserver for others and to share Jesus with them. And Jesus is our life preserver. The whole reason he came was to bring us from death to life. 
He died and rose again so we could live. He gave his life so we could have life. And because he came to preserve our life, we should desire to preserve the lives of others. And this is what this week is all about. This is what Easter is all about. That we have hope because Jesus died and rose again. And this is a fitting end to the book of James. We should do what James has written. We need to be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. But we should also desire for others to do this as well. In closing, I just want to say, James is encouraging us and challenging us who believe in God to show up by living out our faith, by being a promise keeper, by meaning what we say, by being a praise giver, giving God the praise all the time and just not sometimes, by being a prayer warrior, by praying in every circumstance and by being a life preserver, intervening in the lives of those who don't know Christ and those who do but are not living like they should. And so maybe you're here this morning. Maybe you're here this morning and you're watching online and you've never given your life to Jesus. I want you to understand you can't make a difference for God because Jesus hasn't made a difference in your life. If you want to truly make a difference in this world, The first step you need to make is to give your life to Christ. And if you haven't done that, I want to encourage you this morning to ask Jesus to come into your life and to forgive your sin so you can spend eternity. And I promise you, this week going into Easter will mean so much more to you than it ever has before. Or maybe you're here and you've given your life to Christ. I want to ask you, are you a promise keeper or are you a promise breaker? Are you keeping the promises you made to God and others? Do you give God praise? Do you rejoice in Him always, regardless of what is happening in your life? Is prayer a priority in your life? And do you desire to preserve the spiritual lives of others? I know every one of us struggles in at least one of these areas in our lives. And maybe you need to come this morning and just ask God to help you, to give you strength in these areas in which you are struggling. But I just want to challenge you to remember James' word. And I want to challenge each of us to desire to make a difference. And we desire to make a difference and we desire to be different. We will have a faith that works. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you and we just thank you for this time that we've been in your word. Father, we just thank you for for James. Father, we just thank you for you. Lord, led him to write. God, we thank you for his challenges, for his instruction. And Father, I pray that we wouldn't just be a doer of the word. God, we'd also hear it. God, help us to live out our faith. Help us to desire to live for you and make a difference. And God, help us to understand if we want to make a difference, Father, we need to keep our promises to you. God, if we want to make a difference, Father, we need to be your prayer warrior. God, we need to come to you in prayer and lay out our hearts to you for ourselves and for others. God, if we want to make a difference, Father, we need to be a life preserver. God, we need to desire to tell others about the good news of Jesus so they can experience your love like we've experienced. Father, for those who know Christ who are wondering, we need to step in and intervene and save them from spiritual destruction. But above all, God, we need to be a praise giver. Father, we need to give you praise at all times and all places for who you are and what you've done. 
Father, just be with us as we enter this time of commitment. Father, we just pray that your will would be done in the lives of those that are here this morning. Father, may we respond in obedience, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. If you